know, we can sing that song forever and we will never exhaust the greatness of God. Never. It's all right. I want to get down a little more up close and personal today. I've always enjoyed being a little nearer to the congregation, so I'm going to preach the word a little bit more closely this morning. By the end of the service, I'll probably be at the back row, so you've been warned and know that'll be coming. We're still on the 23rd Psalm, so I want to ask you, if you will, to open your scripture there, open the Bible there. Um, as always, thank you for your prayers. Uh, Wednesday night, we did have to admit Emma to the hospital with a whole lot of different issues. She's holding her own, uh, so just continue to pray for us. She's not bouncing back as quickly as we have in the past, so just continue to lift her up to the Lord. We believe and know, not just do we believe, we know He is at work, so continue to pray and lift us up in prayer uh, for her healing and for strength. In the middle of this psalm, that is perhaps the best-known psalm of the Scripture, we find perhaps the best-known verse of this best-known psalm. I would dare say even the non-believer knows this because if they've attended a funeral, there's a good chance they have either heard it or they have read it printed on the back of, of the, the obituary. That's verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. All of Scripture is powerful. But there is a resolute determination in this verse that, that draws my attention and, and emphasis. It's as if David is, is engaging not just in teaching us about God, but engaging in self-talk himself. I will not fear. Even when I am in the shadow, valley of the shadow of death, I will not be afraid. A determination. A focus. Now in some ways this verse is surprising. It stands in contrast to what we've read about our good shepherd already. The Lord's my shepherd. I'm, I'm not going to be in want. I'm content. He provides what I need. My shepherd, the, the good shepherd will lead us to green pastures. He'll lead us beside the still waters. Our good shepherd restores our souls. And he leads us in the paths of righteousness. But we don't expect... That the paths of righteousness will lead us through the valley of the shadow of death. It's one of the stark truths that we have to come to grips with. That even the paths of righteousness that will lead to green pastures and will lead to the still waters will take us through the valley of the shadow of death. David is using his life, his experience as a shepherd to teach us about God. And it's no different with this passage. A common practice among the shepherds in Israel at the time of David is that during the winter months, they would take the flock down to the coastal lowlands where it was warmer and where there were beautiful pastures, green pastures, plenty of food. Now, we do the same thing. People leave the north during the winter and they go south to Florida. And then what happens in the summer? They make their trek back up. And the same thing would happen with the sheep and the shepherd. 
As the winter passed and summer came, the heat would become a little more intense in the coastal lowlands and the food would just about be, be eradicated so they would take them back up to the highlands where there would be a little more food and the temperature would be more, more hospitable, a little bit more temporal. But to get from the lowlands up to the highlands, you had to pass through a lot of valleys. You had to go through some areas that would be difficult. Often the shepherd would take the sheep along what's called a, a wadi. And that wadi would lead them often through very difficult, challenging terrain and valleys and ravines. The path would be dangerous. A wadi is a riverbed that is dry unless there's been a lot of rain, unless the snows are starting to melt. And at that point, the wadi that the shepherd would be traveling down would be filled with water in a flash flood and could pose a potential danger. Not only that, as the shepherd was taking the sheep back up to the highland, there would be thieves that would hide out knowing the path that the sheep would have to go. These thieves would have intent to harm the shepherd and steal some of the sheep. There would be predators. Wolves, coyotes. That would hide along the ravine just waiting to catch a stray sheep kill it and eat it. So in traveling in these valleys that had the portent of death, the shepherd would have to be extra vigilant. And the temptation would be to avoid the valley at all cost. It's too dangerous, it's too, too risky, too painful, so let's avoid it. But the reality is if the sheep stayed where they were, they would more than likely die or suffer. So in other words, to get where they needed to be, they would have to pass through the valley. For the sheep to thrive, they would have to move through these difficult and dangerous times. And that's where this very powerful image, the language is resonant, the valley of the shadow of death. In many ways, it doesn't need a description. Life teaches us exactly what is meant by this. In the Hebrew, it is one word. It's a word that means death itself, but it also carries with it the meaning of suffering, depression, grief, pain. Job uses it to refer to the underworld. So you could say in many ways it's not a stretch to say the valley of the shadow of death can represent hell on earth. Now there are those who believe that such experiences as walking through the valley of the shadow of death are Old Testament only. Their argument is that since we have the fullness of the Spirit and because of the resurrection of Jesus, the pain of the valley of the shadow of death was removed by Jesus. Therefore, if you and I find ourselves traveling that valley, it's because either our faith has failed or we have sinned. But please hear me clearly, such a belief cannot be sustained by Scripture. Being in the valley of the shadow of death does not mean your faith has failed or you are inadequate as a follower of Jesus. A man was once brought to Jesus, this man was blind. Blind from birth. 
The Pharisees believed the theology I just taught you, that if a person is suffering in some way, it's because of sin in their life. They've done something wrong. Therefore, this is their, their comeuppance. So they asked Jesus a question. Since this man was born blind, who sinned? Did he sin even in the womb? Or was, was his parents guilty? Were they guilty of sin? Jesus says neither. This illness has come about for the glory of God. It's not a result of sin. In fact, Jesus himself said, In this world you will have trials and tribulations. It comes with walking this planet. When our kids were younger, we always enjoyed going to amusement parks. Now, I don't mind going to a water park and I don't mind going to an amusement park. I just don't like mixing the two. To me, it's a great irritant to be wet and walking around an amusement park trying to ride roller coasters and whatever while you're wet. That is just not fun. About 20 years ago, we took our family to SeaWorld. And of course, while you're at SeaWorld, you have to see the killer whales. At that time, Shamu was one of the big attractions. So we go into this amphitheater, huge amphitheater, and we notice that the, the lower sections are painted a different color, and there are all these signs, splash zones. If you sit in these rolls, you will get wet. So guess where my kids wanted to sit? And guess who volunteered me to sit with them? That's right. So I sat down with my kids thinking, Lord, you are a God of all things. You parted the waters for Moses. Could you part the waters for me this day? And God, is in his infinite wisdom, chose to answer that prayer with no. When they spl say splash zone, they mean it. We were soaked. Now here's what I should have realized. A, that's salt water. And even when salt water dries, it leaves a salty residue that let's just say is uncomfortable. B, killer whales are ocean animals, Arctic ocean animals. Which means that water is just nigh above freezing. So the rest of the day, I'm walking around shivering, shivering and irritating because I was in the splash zone. Didn't get in the water, but it got on me. And isn't that life? If you will, this world is a splash zone of grief. We will encounter it. It's part of living in a fallen world. It is the result of sin that has come about. Sin in general, where there is grief in this world. Sickness and suffering, pain and des despair, depression and death. And even as believers who follow Jesus, we will experience pain and persecution. And that's following the model of our Savior. If we are followers of Jesus and seek to imitate Him, we will go through life experiencing at times grief. We love talking about the resurrection, and rightly so. Let me go on record. I believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I believe in the resurrection power that fills every believer so that we live in newness of life. Amen. But also know before you get to the resurrection, you have to go through the cross. And before you get to the cross, you go through Gethsemane, where the burden of pain of this world is so great, your sweat is as a drop of blood itself. Now we can deny these experiences, but reality won't let us. And what I have found is that one or two things happen. 
If we buy into the belief that, yes, if we're following Jesus, we will be spared the valley. When the valley comes, I have seen it time and time again, people get angry at God. Because their expectation was basically this form of, of karma. Lord, if I'm following you and I'm doing right, then bam, everything's got to go into place. So they feel like God has shortchanged them. Lord, I wasn't supposed to be in the valley. I followed you. And they become angry at God, which really serves no positive purpose. The other thing that happens is this. They begin to withdraw. Maybe it's because of guilt. They, they bought into that theology, so they're thinking, I must have failed in some way, so I can't, I can't be a part of the church. I can't let them know my pain and my suffering. But rather than responding in those two ways, let's recognize that while we are in this world, we will have trials and tribulations. And let's remember this. If our shepherd has led us into the valley of the shadow of death, he has done it for a purpose. There's a purpose in it. Now I want to be clear. We may not understand that purpose immediately. Sometimes it's not very easy to see. But what is the option? If we say there is no purpose, then there is meaninglessness. And Jesus himself shows us that suffering is not is not lacking meaning. There's a purpose in that. And notice, I think we see one of the hints of this, this purpose in the shift that takes place in the Psalms. Notice in verses 1 through 3, it's as if God is an object. He's out there. The Lord is my shepherd. The shepherd does this. It's talking about God in third person. Do you notice the shift in verse 4? It becomes second person. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. You are there. Now David is no longer talking about God. He is talking to God. You see, in the valley of the shadow of death, you move from just this cognitive, factual knowledge of God to the realization that God is real. And if you are to make it through the valley, you will be dependent upon the shepherd. It moves from theory to reality. God is not just God in general, but you begin calling out, My God, my Savior, hear me, my Lord. The walk with God becomes not just something we study it is something that we are living because the valley disrupts our comfort the valley tests do you really believe this the valley shakes us up and I am convinced one of the greatest dangers to Christianity here in America is not persecution our greatest danger is comfort and apathy that's far more dangerous than persecution and when you meet that moment where all of a sudden life takes a very difficult turn, you're faced with the reality, do I believe that God is God and that Jesus rose from the dead or not? Your dependency upon God will be amplified in the valley. God shatters our misgivings of complacency so that we can see we must depend upon Him. Now notice the one thing that's implicit in this that we have to avoid in the valley. Fear. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Evil is calamity, suffering. In many ways, it's the unknown. That's what scares us, doesn't it? We don't know what will happen. We have no power, no control, and that causes us to be afraid. Now I want you to follow this progression. Fear will lead to anxiety and worry, stating the obvious here. 
We stay, stay up at night. We worry. Our minds ruminate all the possibilities. Can I do this? I ought to do that. And guess what the next step is? Anger. Fear ultimately leads to anger often going through anxiety. We become angry, mad, upset. Nobody cares. Nobody understands. You and I have both met people that they are mad because they're scared. They're afraid. So how do we combat this fear? David comes back to know who God is. Notice that statement, I will fear no evil because you are with me, is at its core a theological statement. God is not distant. He says, I am with me. So here is our solution. It's what I call emergency preparedness for the valley. As we move into winter, you're going to be hearing a lot about being ready for emergency preparedness for your vehicle. A few years ago, I realized how unprepared I was. In the mid-December, we were actually getting ready to host a Sunday school party at our house when it started snowing. One of those thick, wet snows that it's like, okay, this is going to be bad. So we canceled the party, but then we realized people were bringing food to this party, so we really didn't have much in the house. So Jody, I said, hey, it's just starting to snow. Why don't I run out, get some pizza and a gallon of milk? Because we're out of milk, we need pizza. I'll get, get back, and then we'll snuggle in for a long winter's night. Play Monopoly and eat pizza and drink milk pick up the pizza the milk and I'm driving back and it has gotten bad I mean bad I mean cars on the side of the road bad and I'm just putting along at five miles an hour thinking this is not good and then it dawned on me I don't have blankets in the vehicle I don't have anything I'll need to survive except pizza and milk I'll make it a couple of hours, and then that'll be it. You don't want to wait till the emergency occurs, then figure out what I do. Now, I'm not trying to be morbid or pessimistic, but every one of us in some way will encounter this valley. So we need to begin thinking through now, what do we need to do to prepare? And my answer is this, root yourself deeply in who God is know him and let your walk with him be real a part of who you are now that's why what we do in the Sunday school classes what we do when we preach and teach is not just about factual knowledge it's about soul transformation so that when that moment comes and your faith is tested you can come back and say I know in whom I have believed one of the scariest parts of Scripture for me is in the last few chapters of the book of Job. You know, all throughout Job, Job has had this dialogue with God until finally God says to Job, let me ask you a few questions. There could be more, more, no more terrifying moment than that when God says to you, let me ask you a few things. Where were you, Job, when I created the stars? Where were you when I told the waves to come this far and no more? Where were you, Job, when I told the billy goat how to walk on the mountains? And then he says this, Job, have the gates of death been revealed to you? Gates of death is the same word for the valley of the shadow of death. When God says the gates of hell have been revealed to me, the gates of death, He's saying, I know them because I control them. I would remind you the image of Jesus in Revelation is that He holds the keys 
to life and death himself. Therefore, don't be afraid because God oversees you in the valley. Not only does he oversee you, believer, he is with you. You. At this point, the shepherd is not in front of the flock. He's walking in the midst of the flock. He's walking beside the sheep to guide and to lead. And he says, I will not leave you. Rightly so, recognizing Mr. Will Hoyt and so many of our veterans. I always get chill bumps when I think about the, the sacrifice that was made. And I always have this memory, even as a child, of um, the soldiers that guard the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier in Arlington Cemetery. I remember going as a child to see that. My children went on various trips to Washington, D.C. The Tomb of the Unknown Soldier began on November the 11th, 1921. In 1940, the soldiers of the 3rd Infantry Regiment began guarding the tomb. 24 hours a day, there is a soldier there. And, and it's you talk about chill bumps on chill bumps with the precision and the code of honor. And uh, my daughter Emma found out the hard way. You do not make a noise when you're watching them because they will call you out and say, this is a place of honor. You need to be quiet. That happened to her, and she said it was the second most scariest thing of her life. I said, well, what was the first? I mean, that's terrifying. They're there all the time, day and night. If you look up on the Internet, just Google pictures of the tomb of the unknown soldier. It's snowing. Those soldiers are there. In 2003, Hurricane Isabel made its way up the East Coast and for some reason took a turn inland. And a hurricane hit Washington, D.C. And there was a soldier marching in front of the tomb. And hurricane force winds and rain would not leave their post. Now, if a human who is failable, sinful, so shows such a commitment, how much more will God watch over His children? How much more will your Heavenly Father be vigilant over you and watch over you and guide you? And that's what gives us hope. Even when the circumstances are dire, even when it seems like the valley is deeper than we ever imagined, God's presence gives hope. That's the point. This is what drives us to the gospel. Understand that this image of the shadow of death is not relegated to the Old Testament. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 9, verse 2, it says, The people dwelling in darkness, in deep darkness, have seen a great light. That word deep darkness is the same Hebrew word for the valley of the shadow of death. You could translate that. The people dwelling in the valley of the shadow of death have seen a great light. In Amos 5, 8, God turns deep darkness, the midnight darkness of night into the dawn of morning. That's why in Matthew 4, 16, when Jesus shows up, Matthew says this was to fulfill what the prophet spoke when he said the people in darkness have seen a great light. Recognize that Jesus is the shepherd who walks with us through the valley, guides us to the end of it, and says there is a purpose in the midst of this. Our hope is found in Jesus Christ. That's why we cling to him. Earlier in the service, 
service, I quoted a verse, but only quoted half of it. Let me give you the other half right now. In this world you have trials and tribulations, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. Those trials and tribulations, I've overcome them. That grief you have, I've overcome it. That pain you feel, I have overcome it. Our God has overcome. And that is the good news of the gospel. So we cling to that. We let that sink deeply in our souls. We sing of it. We share it. We remind one another. And we have to remember that even though we are walking through the valley, we are not staying in it. Don't set up a tent in the valley. Don't choose to stay there. That's the hardest part, isn't it? Oh, how I wish David had written this. Even though I run through the valley of the shadow of death. It's the walking that's hard, isn't it? Sometimes I feel like I'm crawling through it. The valley's always deeper than we imagine and lasts longer than we ever wanted. But that's where we cling to the truth of what God does as He's with us. Notice He says, your rod and your staff comfort me. A rod is like a, a nightclub, a billy stick carried by a police officer. A shepherd would carry it so when that predator or thief comes, he's got a weapon with which to defend himself and the sheep. His rod is like the shepherd's crook, that long tall stick that's got like a question mark on the end that the shepherd will use to bump the sheep along, move them along. Or if the sheep wanders off the path and gets stuck, he uses that crook to pull the sheep back. Our God is protecting and guiding. He's leading us through so we will not stop right there. God is active providing the comfort that we need, the hope that we must have to get through the valley. There's a wonderful movement now that I think is good. It's a return to catechisms. Now, if you grew up in the Roman Catholic Church, you hear catechism. It's like, oh, no, 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 we don't want that. Listen, catechisms are a good thing. It's a method of teaching children the gospel truth. And it's done through a series of questions and answers. So you give the question, and the child memorizes the answer. It's a wonderful way to teach the truths of the gospel. There's many catechisms out there. One that I lean toward is called the Heidelberg Catechism. Here's the very first question. What is your only comfort in life and death? What is it? What's your only comfort, believer, in life and death? I'm going to read the answer completely. What is your only comfort in life and death? Answer, that I am not my own, but belong with body and soul, both in life and death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with His precious blood and has set me free from all the power of the devil. He also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my Heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. Therefore, by His Holy Spirit, He also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for him what is my comfort I belong to Jesus that is my comfort God is at work in all things so keep moving through that valley you may feel like you've been in the valley for a long time keep moving remember this we walk by faith not by sight we walk by faith not by sight your circumstances do not change one iota who God is God is still God he doesn't change. Know Him. Don't base your faith on what you see. Base your faith on who God is. 
Second thing I would encourage you to do is this. Not only walk by faith, not by sight, but cultivate the disciplines you need in the valley now. Does the current time you spend in prayer and reading the word, will it sustain you through the valley? See, the habits we begin to build now will either sustain us or hinder us when we get into the valley. Don't wait till you get in the valley to decide, oh, I need, I need to be praying. You'll pray in the valley, believe me. But what you'll find is that a consistent prayer life before you enter the valley sustains you even more in the midst of it. Are you cultivating spiritual discipline so that you are walking with God, experiencing Him, knowing Him? Third thing I would say is this. Follow the example of Jesus and focus on the joy that awaits. It's so easy to start looking around in the valley. We've got to have a focus that the valley is not forever. Jesus Christ endured the suffering and shame of the cross, according to Hebrews, for the joy set before him. Your valley won't last forever. Ultimately, when we see Jesus, the valleys will be made straight. I think of that old hymn I grew up singing, What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. And I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace. When he takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land. Oh, what a day. What a glorious day that will be. The valley won't last forever. Focus on that. Focus on that. And say continually with David, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Church, bow your heads with me now, if you will. Nathan and I are going to be here at the front. If you need someone to pray with you, the weight of the valley can be very heavy at times. This morning, you may need someone to pray with you. Nathan and I are here and be glad to do that. There may be fellow believers friends in the faith that you are close with and you may just need to grab them by hand right now and say would you come and pray with me because my valley seems very dark you may need to come to the kneeling bench and say Lord my focus has been on the valley around me and not the light that you're providing I'm going to lead us in a prayer and after this prayer we will stand and begin singing Oh, Lord God, thank you. Thank you that you are sovereign. And Lord, as I read in the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord, not one hair can fall off of our heads without your knowledge and your participation in that. So, Lord, we know that all things will work together for our salvation. Forgive us, Lord, because sometimes we're very short memory. We forget these truths. So, Lord, I pray right now for that person that's in the valley. I pray for me and my family. I ask, Father, for your grace. And I pray for others that right now feel like this valley is going on and on and on. Renew your strength within them, Father. Let them know. Let them know beyond a shadow of a doubt the comfort that is found in your presence. 
And Lord, for that one that is fleeing from you because the valley is too deep, Lord, graciously, in your role as the good shepherd, pull them back. Pull them back, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray.